0: I'm Pastor Scott Luck. I'm one of the pastors here. If this is uh, your first time, I want to welcome you. We're really glad that you're here. I want you to go ahead and grab a Bible uh, and turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to spend a lot of time uh, right in that chapter, so you're going to want to follow along with us. And we have been, uh, for the past couple of weeks, in a series called Gods and Kings, and we're focusing really on the life and the ministry of Elijah and his successor, Elisha. And I, I shared with you last Sunday that the most important decision that, that you will ever make is really the decision of who or what you're going to worship. See, the thing about it is, as human beings, we're all worshipers. Everybody worships. Even atheists worship. And so the most important decision that you make is the choice of who or, or what you're going to worship. And so you're going to have to make that choice even though maybe in some cases it would be a lot easier not to make that choice. Uh, how many of you, let me just see a show of hands, if you've ever bought tickets from Ticketmaster, let me just see a show of hands. Yeah, a lot of us have done that. And, um, you know, that's, that, that's really not for the faint at heart. You know what I'm saying? Like you go on there and you get on the website and you, you know, you, you put your number of tickets that you need in. And then there's a clock, a, a clock that starts counting down. You guys know what I'm saying? And it's like starts building your stress because you've got all of these decisions that you have to make. And uh, you got to do it before the clock runs out or else the website will kick you off and cancel your order. And so it can be really, really stressful. And so you got to work through all these decisions. And you're thinking to yourself, does this date really work? You know, do I want mezzanine? do I even know what mezzanine is? Uh, do I really want to see Legally Blonde the musical? Do I really want to see that? I'm not really sure. And so what happens is the FOMO really gets palpable at that point. You're, you're The fear of really missing out and you're thinking to yourself, if I don't hurry and nail this down, I'm going to lose tickets to Legally Blonde forever and ever. I'll never get to see it. And so in that case, you know, it would be a lot easier not to make All of those series of choices, wouldn't it be a lot less stressful? But in reality, when you think about it, not making a choice is a choice in and of itself, isn't it? Like just refraining from making a decision is a choice and a decision in and of itself. And so where we see the nation of Israel in the story that we're going to look at today is that they've got to make a choice. They've got to make a decision. And they've got to decide who they're going to worship. Are they going to worship the true God or are they going to worship a false God? And so God has raised up Elijah to bring them right back to that decision and to challenge them to finally decide. Because you see, they're wavering between, you know, two gods. And, and so finally, Elijah calls them out on it. Now, you know, let me just kind of get heart to heart with you uh, on, on this issue. This has direct relevance for us today because because the truth of the matter is there are a lot of people like this in their relationship with God even today you know there are a lot of people a lot of church going people they haven't rejected God but they've not chosen him either you know they're church going people they haven't rejected God which is which is why they're in church but in the same token, they haven't chosen him either. They haven't decided to go all in. And so this is as relevant today as any other day you know, in the year. And so that's, that's the reality for a lot of us. And, it, and, it's, and it's exactly where Israel is in this story. They've got to make a decision. And they've been struggling because they've been tempted and they've been falling into this temptation, giving themselves to the worship of Baal, the fertility god. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to mix worship of the true God with worship of Baal, the the fertility God. Now, let let me talk a little bit about Baal. I described this a little bit last week. One of the things I didn't share with you last Sunday is that in the Canaanite religion, there were a number of different Baals. So there are a number of different Baal gods, if you will. So there was uh, Baal, the god of sex and fertility. There was Baal, the god of prosperity. There was also a Baal of power, basically. And so there are just numerous gods uh, for people back then to really to choose from. And I think it's I think it's kind of interesting, church, because I think it's it's really tempting for us as modern people to to read a story like this, which we're going to read here in just a minute, and and we. And we really, look at, um, we really look at people and we think, they're so primitive. You know, they're so, un, un, so ignorant. Why in the world are they bowing down to these little idols? And, and that's kind of our modern sensibility today. And we kind of look down on them. We think to ourselves, you know, we're so sophisticated, we would never do that. And it's just fascinating to me because right here in 2021, with all of our education, with with all of our technology, with all of our insight into the world, what are the gods that we worship today in our culture? Sex, prosperity, and power. And what it reminds us is that times change, but people don't change. And as much as things change, life really stays the same. And the reason why, I go back to it, is everyone worships. And everyone has to make a choice uh, in what they worship. Now, now you may be thinking, uh, now, Scott, I, I'm, I'm really not a worshiper. I'm, I'm not religious. And you could be thinking, there, there'd be a few of us either watching online or even here today that would just push back and say, I'm not a worshiper. I'm not really religious. I'm just here. And what I would say to you is, you don't know how your heart works. Because anything you look to for worth anything you look to that makes life worth living for you and you give yourself to that that's worship that's what worship is and so you may not worship in a traditional sense but make no mistake about it you're worshipping and that's exactly what israel has done in the worship of the baals uh, that they found in their day. And so, in response to Israel's idolatry, God has called Elijah into the ministry. He's called them, called him to really challenge the people to come back home, to repent of that, and to come back into the worship of the true God. And basically, Elijah's name means God lives. And that's not an accident, because really his, his mission, his, the, the core of his ministry, is to show the people that the true God is living and the false gods are fake and dead. That's his whole mission. That's what he's trying to do is show them the reality of that. Now, let me talk a little bit about what idolatry really is so that we can understand it in our, kind of in our modern context. I- idolatry is just really anything that, um, that, that takes on ultimate worth for you. So idolatry is just anything that becomes of more important than anything else, especially, especially God. And, and so it's it's really something that you could not imagine living your life without. And it's where you find your identity, it's where you find your security, and it's really where you find your joy outside of God. That's that's idolatry. And it gets tricky because idols are not usually bad things they're usually good things you know they're usually a good thing that we have turned into a God thing and uh it's it's really a good thing that we turn into the ultimate thing for us and and I mentioned these last week I mean there's so many different gods we could choose to worship today it's like health or beauty or you know sports kids technology um, success, busyness, politics, all of these things are good things. Well, maybe except for politics. But all of, they're, all, um, they're all really good things. And so this story happened in Israel's history 3,000 years ago. And it's incredibly relevant for us today. Because the truth of the matter is we struggle with this. We struggle with it. So so there is a battle for your heart and for my heart that we have to understand and we have to fight it every single day by God's grace. Now, we're going to read a significant portion of chapter 18 today. So I'm just going to ask your patience, um, but if you're willing and able, let's stand together as we read this incredible story uh, today. And you you might even, as I read this, you you could even close your eyes and just listen to the story unfold. If you want to try that, you can do that. Uh, If you want to read along, it'll be on the text on the screen behind me. So the writer of Kings says this. We'll begin at verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said... How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Then the people did not answer him a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it into pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I'll prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. All the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And then he says this, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at, as midday passed, They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that, that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name, and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as, as great as would contain two seahs of seed, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill the jars with water, pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water, around, the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the, all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, he is God. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Church, I I love this story. This is not myth. This is not folklore. You could not make up this story and insert it into the history of Israel without it being true. Because they would have called you on it. There were so many, there were thousands of people gathered to watch this event happen. And, uh, and it absolutely did. And so the real question is, what does it mean for us today? And I think the, the answer to that lies really just in the observation that in the cultural moment where we live, we're surrounded today by multiple faiths and multiple gods for us to worship here in our modern time. You, you have a lot of options to choose from. As you think about this choice that you have to make. And so we have a veritable smorgasbord of gods and religions and faiths that you can can really choose from. And so the question that I have really coming to this is how do you know the difference between the true God and a false God? Because I really think that's the heart of what's driving this chapter. How do you know the difference between the true God and the false God? And that's exactly the question Elijah is going to answer for the people. And he basically answers this this way. He basically says to the people, I know that you all have a lot of options, but why don't we just have a contest? Why don't we have a showdown and then we'll prove it and see? And that's exactly what he does. So here's what I want to do today. I want us to walk verse by verse uh, right through this chapter and uh, I want us to see three differences between the true God and the false God, we'll do that at the end. So let's jump in at verse 17 and I'm just going to just walk us right through this. So look at what, look at how this unfolds. Verse 17, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, is it you, you troubler of Israel? So basically Elijah is going to go challenge and confront Ahab. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of confronting someone who was making some really destructive choices. Uh, If you've ever had to go and Kind of do that ministry of confrontation. Isn't that fun? Don't you just love to do that? You know what I mean? Uh, that can be really, really hard. And what, what, how does that usually go? Uh, usually doesn't go that great. And that's exactly what Ahab is doing here. He's already attacking Elijah. He's calling him the troubler of Israel. That word troubler means pest. Uh, it means, you know, he's basically calling him a rat. You rat of Israel. And notice, notice how Elijah responds to him. This is in verse 18. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. So he is really getting to the heart of the issue here. Elijah is. And he's calling him out. And it's interesting to me that Ahab blames his country's plight because they're in the middle of a drought. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. And he's blamed it on Elijah. Ahab is so lost in his relationship with God, he has no thought that it's God that's brought trouble on Israel because of their idolatry. Isn't that interesting? And so, and so he calls him out for abandoning the commandments of the Lord. Now notice, notice verse 19. So Elijah goes on and says, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me to Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, um, I've included a picture of Mount Carmel and what it looks like today. I've actually had the privilege of going to Mount Carmel, and um, what, what's really interesting about Mount Carmel is you can go there today, and um, there we go. You can go there today, and this mountain is a, is about a thousand feet in elevation, and right right on the top of the mountain is a plateau. And so there's a Catholic monastery there. They've built a, they've built a monument to Elijah. That's uh, maybe what he would have looked like back then. But it's, it's a perfect setting for this. And, and, and you look off to the east and you see the Jezreel Valley. And it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And not only that, but just about 100 yards from that location is a stream where they had gotten water to dump on. Elijah's sacrifice so this is the perfect place for this and this is this is kind of the imagery it's flat on top of the mountain thousands of people have gathered for this I mean this is a cage match okay God versus Baal let's pick up in verse 20 and um, we'll see exactly what happens and he says says this so Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel and Elijah came near to the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Now, this is kind of interesting. This, this, this phrase he uses, limping between two different opinions. That, that word limping in Hebrew, it, it means to totter from side to side, but it also means to sink literally means to sink the imagery here that I think he's referring to is quicksand and basically what he's saying here you know what quicksand is quicksand is there's an area of the soil that so liquefies that it can't support anything so you step out into quicksand and you start to sink uh, to your death slowly and for sure just like this guy is looks like he's in big trouble there so uh, uh, but that's quicksand and what Elijah is saying to them is he saying to the people, you're not standing on solid ground because you're wavering between two different opinions. You're, you're trying not to choose, or you're trying to mix the two. And you're not on, you're 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 sinking. You're you're dying right where you are. And what he does is he challenges them to make a decision, and he says, basically, you're really walking in half-heartedness. And uh, he calls them out, and he says, it's really time for you to choose. And he asks this question, how long will you go limping between these two choices? Now, let's just take a minute and apply this uh, today. You know, there are a lot of people today, and you've heard it, I've heard it, we've all heard it, uh, that will basically make, make this statement that all religions are basically the same. That all religions are just different paths up up to the same mountain to the true God. And so it really doesn't matter which God you worship as long as you're sincere. Now, we've heard that. The reality is that statement is spiritual quicksand. That's what that is. Because have you ever considered what the Bible says about the gods of other religions? Have you ever considered that? See, the Bible teaches that the gods of other religions are not just mere names or myths. The Bible says that the gods of other religions are supernatural beings who want to be worshiped. And they want to lead people away from the worship of the true and living God as revealed in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. Now, church, don't take my word for it. I want to show it to you right from Scripture. And I want to show you 1 Corinthians 10, verse 19 and 20, where Paul really speaks to this. Now, let me me set this up because it's not going to make sense unless you understand kind of what's going on and the question that he's answering here. Paul's writing this to the people, to Christians in Corinth, and it was a very pagan city. And what the pagans would do in Corinth is they would sacrifice a bull, just like we're seeing here, and they would offer it up to their, to their gods, their pagan gods. And it would be consumed by fire. And then what they would do is they would take the leftover meat and they would take it down to the marketplace. And then they would sell it to the Christians. And the Christians in Corinth were asking Paul, is it okay for us to go to market and buy meat that have been, that's been sacrificed to idols? Because they they felt like, man, maybe this is crossing some spiritual line. So this is part of the question that he he is answering. But I want you to notice what he says. And notice the insight that he gives us. Paul says this, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. Whew. He just calls it out. I don't want you to be participants with demons. I don't want you to be worshiping demons, in other words. That's what he's saying. That to worship the gods of other religions is basically to open yourself up to the demonic realm that's around you. So it is spiritual quicksand when somebody says, oh, all religions lead to the same God. Now, it's also intellectual quicksand. It's intellectual quicksand when somebody says that. Now you're saying, well, how? Well, I love what Tim Keller says about this, and I just wanted to, it was so good, I just wanted to share with you what he said about this. He said, you know, when somebody makes the claim that all religions lead to God, they um, they, they do it because they're frustrated that one person says that one faith has exclusive claims to the truth. And so their counter to that is, no, all religions lead to God. Because they get frustrated that somebody's making a truth claim, that they have the complete picture of the truth. And what Keller says is it's so interesting because they themselves are making the very same truth claim because they're denying that you can that one religion can make a claim to have all the truth and yet they come right back and say all religions are true, all religions lead to the same god. In other words, they judge others for what they themselves do, and that is intellectual quicksand, he basically says. Now, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? And so that's really that is really what Elijah is trying to challenge the people with. And notice the end of verse 21, how the, people, how the people just sat there, it says this. The people didn't answer him a word. They didn't answer him a word. And the reason why is because they knew Elijah was right. They knew Elijah was spot on. Elijah's word started cutting them to the heart. Because, because he had exposed really where their hearts were. That their hearts were not for God but really for themselves. And he he says to the people, he says, if Baal is God, worship him. He challenges them to go all in. If Baal is really the true God, then go for it. Go all in. And you know what I say? I say the same thing. Church, listen. If money is God, go for it. Go all in on it. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. You guys following me on that? I mean, if money is God, go all in and serve it. Give yourself to it. Sacrifice your family to it. Go all in. Because the sooner you do that, the sooner you'll come to the truth that it doesn't satisfy you. Because the reality is, as long as we believe a lie, we're going to be caught up in idolatry. And we need to get to the truth as quickly as we can. How about this one? If youth sports is God, then go all in on it. Now I'm starting to meddle. Here, this is where I'm really starting to get in. Yeah, you, you, you heard what I said. If, if youth sports is God, then go all in on it. You know, do the training. You know, do the travel. Do the fundraising. Do the politics. Do the whole nine yards. Because the sooner you do that the quicker you'll get to reality that it doesn't satisfy you. It's just chasing the wind. You know, if seeking the approval and the acceptance of other people in your life all the time is God, you know what I say? Go all in on it. Give yourself to pleasing everybody. Give yourself to to gaining acceptance by whatever group you, you want to gain acceptance by. Go all in on it. And see if you can please everybody. See if you can make everybody happy. That was something Jesus couldn't do, church. And the sooner you go all in on it, the quicker you will stop believing the lie that keeps you from worshiping the true and living God. Now, I'm not saying that money is evil. It's not. I'm not saying youth sports is evil. It's not. I'm not saying that seeking even acceptance or approval is evil. It's just when it becomes ultimate, that's when it becomes a problem. And I have seen as a pastor People shipwreck their faith over these three issues because they believe the lie that these things satisfy. But here's here's the challenge, church. If Christ is the true God, then go all in with them. What are you holding back on? I mean, go all in. What's keeping you from that? What's holding you back on that? And I think what a lot of us try to do is we try to be a little in the world and a little with God. And we're just enough in the world that we're miserable with God, and we're just enough with with God that we're miserable in the world. And we just need to make a choice. There's no middle ground, church. What, what, What happens is you just sink spiritually. It's just a slow death is what it is when you try to find the middle ground. And so my encouragement, my challenge to all of you is go all in. You know, go all in. You know, um, Matt Chandler is a preacher, and he, uh, he talks about how for a lot of Christians, church is like Halloween. Church is just a place where we wear masks. You know, we put our mask on, we come to church, just like, you know, dressing up, wearing a mask. Somebody asks you how you're doing. You're like, oh, man, I'm doing great. Just praise the Lord, you know. Just praise the Lord. And we just go through the motions. And we walk away from that encounter knowing We've lied. Because we're not doing that great, and we're really not interested in praising God. And so what I what I would just say is go all in. Go all in. You know, as as a Christian, that that would mean serving, right? Letting your life be spent for something that's gonna outlast it. If you go all in, what that's gonna look like is sharing the gospel, sharing the truth of God's love for people. I think going all in looks like giving yourself to knowing the word of God because the word of God is what brings life to your soul. I think it means going on mission trips inviting your friends and discipling your neighbors. I, I, I think that's what it means to go all in. It means you get up every day and you, and you, and you, and you bow before the true God because of his goodness and his love for you. That's, that's what it means. And I think that's what Elijah is really trying to call the people to. Now, uh, let's, let's just jump back into the story, and uh, we'll see verse 24, and, um, and we'll see what Elijah does. He basically says, you guys grab a bull, take it to your altar. I'll, I'll grab a bull, I'll take it to mine. And then notice what he says in verse, verse 24. You call upon the name of your God, and I will call it on, upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said... Amen. They said it's well spoken right here. They're like, good idea, Elijah. Let's, 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 really, let's really do this. Look at verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull, prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. So just set up the altar, put the bull on the altar, set it up, and they did that. Verse 26, and they took the bull that was given them. And then they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, church. No one answered. They're doing this for hours. They're chant- I mean, thousands of people standing around. I mean, this is the picture. I mean, Elijah's probably going, Okay, come on, come on, you know, and they're they're just calling on Baal, and and there's no answer, and everybody's sitting around watching this, and and no one's answering. Look at verse 27, and at noon, Elijah mocked them. Now, he's starting to do Christian trash talk. That's what this is, okay? Um, Notice what he says. Elijah mocks them. They've been sitting standing there for hours. Nothing's going on. You can't imagine how boring all this is. And uh, he begins to mock them, saying, cry aloud. He's a god. Either he's musing, and that means he's kind of daydreaming or he's checking Facebook or TikTok or whatever. Um, maybe he's checking Facebook or he's relieving himself. Isn't that interesting? You, you know what that means, right? You know what he's talking about. I don't need to give you the Greek word for that. So um, He's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and he must be awakened. And he's just taunting them. Nothing's going to happen because he's not real. And notice verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, until the time of their set prayers... But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Church, they are literally gushing with blood. They are they are cutting themselves to try to get Baal to do something, to do anything. And so we pick up in verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. They tore down the, the true altar the altars for the true God. They had been torn down because they were forsaking the worship of the living God. Skip down to verse 33. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bull in pieces and then he laid it on the wood and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time and do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So they're taking water from the stream they're dumping on this sacrifice to soak it really good. They don't want something some trick you know being played here. And the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench also with water. There's a lot of water on this plateau and uh, he's setting it up. Now notice, notice what Elijah does. So the people are gathered around, he's calm, he's cool and then he prays. Notice verse 36. and at that time of the offering of the oblation, Time of prayer, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day you are God in Israel, and that I'm just your servant, and that I have done these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. You, you know what I love about that church? It's not about Elijah. This is not about him showing off. He's not trying to get, you know, get 15 minutes of fame. You know what I'm saying? He's not, this is not about him. He's just a servant and he's trying to be a signpost to the true and living God. And he says, God, my prayer is, my only prayer is that these people would know that you're real. That these people would know that you're the true God, that you're the living God, and that the gods that they've been chasing are false and fake. Make, God, will you answer that one prayer? And I love that. That's where his heart is. It's not about him. It's not about him at all. And notice how God answers this prayer. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and it consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. That is a hot fire. If that trench is full of water, man, that, that is a hot fire. And when all the people saw it, what did they do? They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God the Lord he is God what what an incredible what, a, what an incredible story that day and you can only imagine people falling down uh, in worship and in repentance and in confession uh, to the to the true and living God now we don't have time today but if you read the rest of the chapter you know that Elijah prays and um, God answers his prayer for rain and it rains in Israel for the first time in three and a half years it's just, just, just incredible when you think about it. Now, let me just kind of finish up this way. How do you know the difference between the true and living God? How do you know? Well, there are three differences. Number one, here's the first one. You know, false gods are silent, but the true God hears and answers prayer. That's how you know. False gods are silent, but the true God hears and and answers our prayer. You remember back in verse 24 where Elijah says to all the people, you know, you called upon the name of your God and I will call on the Lord. And whoever answers, that's the God who is real. Well, this whole showdown in chapter 18 is about the power of answered prayer. That's what, that's what this is about. And, uh, and so Baal is completely silent. Baal does not answer they call to him they cut themselves they chant they dance they gyrate they do the whole thing and he's quiet he's silent because he's not real and part of what this chapter does is it shows us the futility of idol worship it shows us it shows us that that idols really aren't real they, you can you can pray to success all you want to but it's not going to answer your prayers you, you, can, you can pray to the beauty gods all that you want to. You can pray to the money gods all that you want to. But they're never going to answer your prayer. They're never going to respond. But the true God hears and answers your prayers. It's a real interesting verse. In James chapter 5, verse 16, James mentions Elijah Notice what James says about Elijah's prayer life. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like us. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. Now, you know what James is doing here? James, James is reminding us that the dominant characteristic of Elijah's life and ministry was answered prayer. That's the number one characteristic of his ministry, answered prayer. God answered him on the mountain. God answered him for rain. God answered him, you know, in withholding the rain. God answered his prayer in bringing a revival to the people. And so this is a reminder to us that our God speaks, that our God hears, that our God answers Our prayers, let me ask you, does your life reflect the characteristic that God answers prayer? How's your prayer life? We know Elijah was a man of prayer. You know, it's interesting, Jesus' last prayer on the cross was this, Father, into your hands I I commit my spirit. Now, can you imagine if Jesus had prayed that to Baal? There would have been no answer. There would have been no accepting of his sacrifice, and there would be no resurrection from the dead. You see, only the true God, only the living God can raise the dead. So so false gods are silent. The true God answers and hears our prayer. But number two, there's a second difference. False gods require me to do more and try harder. The true God is known by grace through faith. The true God is known by grace through faith. You see, the prophets of Baal danced. They chanted, they cut, they slashed themselves over and over again. They had to do this to get Baal, to manipulate Baal, to get him to do what they wanted him to do. But Elijah, he just prays a humble prayer, doesn't he? He just comes to the true God by grace through faith. He's not perfect. We're going to see that next week. He doesn't have his life all together, but you know what? He comes to God, he knows God by grace through faith. And he doesn't have to dance, he doesn't have to cut, he doesn't have to chant or slash himself. As I thought about this, you know, I thought about, you know, the gospel is different from from all other religions of the earth, isn't it? Because all other religions teach that in in order to be accepted, you have to perform. You gotta do more and try harder in order to be accepted. See, religion teaches us if I obey, if I'm good enough, then I'll be accepted. You know what the gospel is? I'm accepted by grace and then I obey. See, that's the difference. That's the difference between the gospel and religion. The interesting thing about religion is you're always trying to get there. You're always trying to be good enough and do more and try harder, but you never seem to get there. But the gospel says somebody performed for us, somebody achieved for us, and that was Jesus. Here's the the third and last difference. False gods mutilate you, but the one true God mutilated himself for you. That is the gospel. You see, these guys, they had to hurt themselves. They had to cut themselves. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus was cut for us. He took our place on the cross. Do you know of another kingdom where the king dies for his subjects? Do you know any story that has that storyline to it? Where the king lays down his life for his people. Do you know any story in mythology, any story from thousands of years ago where that happens? No, because it doesn't happen, church. You know, usually the people have to lay down their lives for the king, but not with the true God. He allows himself to be sacrificed on our behalf, and that is the gospel. That is That is the good news of the gospel. That is our reason why we go all in, church. That's why we worship him. That's why we serve him. That's why we love him. That's why we delight in him. Because he gave all so that we could have eternal life. So I'm not really sure where you are today, church. But I just want to challenge you. What's holding you back from going all in? Nothing held Jesus back going all in for you. I dare you to move. I dare you to take a step and say, God, I just take my hands off and I'm willing to trust you and obey you and follow you the rest of my life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we we're amazed at your love for us god we we're amazed how you pursue us and stick with us even in the midst of our waywardness and so god i thank you that you've just clearly shown us the difference god you you've you've really shown us truth from falsehood you, you've shown us the difference between good and evil god and we just wanna be on your side. We, we wanna be with you. And I just pray God for, for us as a church family, for us as individuals in this church family, I, I pray that you would, you would have permission and the freedom to search our hearts and just to know every wicked way in us. God, that you would know what we look to for significance and worth and value and security and identity that's not of you. And I pray that our lives would be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. This is our spiritual act of worship. And so God, I pray you would grant us grace, that you would move our hearts, you would move our will to go all in for you, to not hold back, but that we would know the freedom of joy of walking with you. So I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond just silently right where you are. God is speaking to you. I wanna give you a moment to respond. You don't have to pray out loud, but but I wanna encourage you to pray. God is closer to you than the air you breathe and he loves you and his grace is available to you today. So God, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for the promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that we can know the true God by grace through faith today. We give you praise and we give you glory and all of God's people said, amen, amen.